This episode is sponsored by Apollo, a tool that's helping me to open doors and close deals faster. Wanted to share it with you. Apollo is a complete end-to-end sales platform, letting you email, dial, connect on social, build plays, and schedule meetings. With conversational intelligence, transcribing my calls lately, and reminding me to act on my next steps to drive deals across the finish line, it's been a lifesaver. It's no wonder Apollo is the most loved sales tool on the planet. Thousands of users rank Apollo as a top tool on G2. Start today completely free and see how Jesse and I use Apollo. Sign up in the show notes below or at thesalesplayers.com forward slash Apollo. That's thesalesplayers.com forward slash A-P-O-L-L-O to start your free trial. All right, all right. My guest today is Chris Dankowski. Chris is a revenue strategist at SalesLoft by day, a career advisor to sales reps by night. He's been an AE at Evernote, HubSpot, and Outreach, to name a few. And if you've been a longtime fan of the podcast, you know I've had Chris on the show before. In fact, he talked about going from being a bankrupt entrepreneur to being a SaaS seller at a top company. He's a personal friend of mine. I've known him now for about a decade. Today, we're talking about sales and sales careers. So he shares some insights that he's gathered around options that you have if you're burnt out in your selling role, how to sort of manage your mindset, and what paths you might consider taking once you've spent a number of years closing deals and you might be ready to move on to something new. So without further ado, here's Chris. Chris Dankowski, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yeah. So for for the listeners, just a little bit of context. If you haven't heard the previous episode that Chris and I did uh, probably about a year and a half ago, we talked about Chris's career starting out as a small business owner, bankruptcy, and then ultimately he landed himself in the software business. Along that journey, he and I met in my first SaaS role uh, at an e-commerce company out of Austin where we were doing very highly transactional SMB sales. So here we are again. And uh, yeah, Chris, tell us what you've been up to the last couple of months. Yeah, sure. So um, when we initially talked, it was like shortly after I had uh, pivoted out of sales entirely and got into strategic consulting. And um, since then, just over the past, um, I think, five weeks, I landed a job as a strategist with Salesforce. So um I work in a team with a bunch of other people uh, on three of their most highly valued strategic accounts to really just help them be more effective with the platform. Um, And it's awesome. It's the same work I was doing before, except like for an agency that was both an outreach and sales loft partner. So now I'm captive at sales loft doing it. Um, I made the switch because I wanted to like challenge myself and also like I'm a logo collector. So it's kind of like uh, I've worked at Outreach. Now I'm at Sales Loft, and it's just awesome. It's a dream. How I'm really curious. How difficult is it to transition from being in a closer role, or maybe even an SDR role, into doing something like you're doing right now? Do you feel like you brought some special sauce to the mix, or was it network connections? Give us an idea for anyone out there listening who might be considering that as an ultimate career. Yeah. Path. Yeah, and this is. 
this is like part of what I've been doing is kind of like, you know, my, my side thing, right? Like you have the podcast and I've, I've been doing uh, kind of like career coaching for uh, sales reps over the past nine months, both teaching them to like, how do you get an awesome job at a place like outreach or HubSpot, you know, places I've worked or how do you just get entirely out of sales if you're burned out? And one of the things I recommend is to like, really try to, uh, you want to pay attention to like your passions, like the, got a gnat in here, Austin springtime, but uh, like really pay attention to the things that like really charge you up and energize you. But also at the same time, try to juxtapose those against where is your expertise, right? So for me, like selling at outreach and then selling at HubSpot to a slightly lesser degree where you're selling a sales engagement uh, solution to sales leaders, sales operations leaders, learning about like their gaps, their problems, their their fears, their nightmares, their challenges, their dreams, and helping them solve those problems for a good, you know, over two years of my career collectively doing that. Um, and just, you know, being, um, being like admin certified on those platforms and things like that and understanding the technical inner workings, it just gave me more expertise in, in sales engagement than like, you know, your average person on the street, right? So I was able to leverage that that expertise to get into consulting. So yeah, that's how that works. And and the first job was network driven. It was, you know, a colleague of mine, Dave Brashears, we worked at uh, Outreach together and it was like, dude, come work here. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you get it. Like, this is, this is what we do all day. You can talk about this stuff. So it was awesome. In In a role like the one you're in right now, is it, is it commission based? If you don't mind sharing, and we're really curious, no. sure is on that, or is it just kind of a flat salary with maybe a bonus for yeah. that at the end? Yeah, of the year? It, it's project based work. I get a I get a fat salary that I I negotiated. I I dragged them dragged them over the coals for it, and uh, I get a nice quarterly bonus too, as long as I'm like doing good work, which I'm confident I'm going to be doing good work pretty regularly. No, that that's really cool. And and this is a topic that I know I've done some soul searching on, right? At different points in my career, I thought to myself, how many more years can I do this? I just being, you know, transparent for uh there's there's been some high highs and low lows. I want to talk about that aspect of of selling a lot more, especially in tech. Uh, because you know, after you've done it for 10, 15, eh, 20 years, it can really start to wear on you. Uh it can start yeah. to and so the, the, the daydreaming starts of what, what could I do if I were to stop doing this? It's really, really hard to stop because tech sales is such a lucrative career field. It's such a good life. Uh, in some ways, it can have periods where it's really easy and everything just falls into place perfectly and you're winning all the time. But then, it can, then you can go through a period where you're struggling and you're missing numbers and things like that. So what what I want to kind of hear about from you today is what some career options are. I mean, we'll cover a couple of different things. Uh, I, I know we want to talk about how you can land your dream role in tech sales uh, to start to kind of build that lifestyle so you can then start to think about what comes next. Uh, and then let's talk about, you know, what are some options for people that are transit that want to transition out of sales at some point? And yeah. most of the people I know that start to get into, I hate to, to say specific ages, but the, the reality is I think a lot of my colleagues are kind of in their late thirties now heading towards forties. And a lot of them are thinking about how many more years can I do this and what comes next? And if you're not going to get into a leadership role in a company, 
can I keep being an account executive or a field sales rep for another 10, 15, 20 years uh, when I'm already 41, 42? How many more years can I do this? So yeah, I want to hear kind of your thoughts on this. It seems like you've been pretty entrenched. You've, you've achieved a lot of it. You've worked at some amazing companies. You've worked with a lot of uh, reps who have done a bunch of different things. So I definitely want to, maybe we start with the 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 pivoting. Um, yeah. Start with pivoting, then we can go into kind of landing a dream role. Well, and just like, um, like you hit the nail on the head on a lot of things. And it's like sales is always a, a largely a mind game, right? You have to be mentally strong. There's, like you said, the high highs, the low lows. My first sales mentor, Matt Harless uh, in San Diego, he was like, you just got to stay right in the middle all the time. Like, don't celebrate when you crush quota. Don't, <laughs> you know, go and pout when, when you miss by 50%, like just stay right in the middle. That's all it is. And at the same time, it's also, it's a sprint. It's not a marathon. It's like whether you're on like a, a quarterly sales cycle, monthly, annual, it's, you know, you're charging up, you're in this race. It's a race to the finish. And then when you finish, it's like, here's your prize. You get to start all over again. Right. And that's, that's tough. You don't see that with like, you know, a, a lot of other types of types of uh, professions. Right. And so I always, I always tell people like the reason we're, we're paid so well in sales is because we have to put up with a lot more bullshit than most other roles, right? You have to deal with that mental aspect more than other people. And at the same time too, like the thing you talked about, you know, getting into your late thirties, your early forties, you know, you, you got kids, you got a mortgage and, you know, health and wellness and longevity in your career start to become more of a priority. And, you start thinking about like, yeah, how much longer can I do this? Or what's next? Or like, do I want to be 60 and an account executive and, you know, just grinding it out still? Do I, can I do that? And it's like, for a lot of people, no. And like, if you were like me as a rep, like there's almost like shame when you start thinking about those things. Like, am I a loser? Like, am I, a, like, am I not good enough for this? Like, because we're competitive by nature. That's why we do good in this profession. But, you know, it almost feels like you're taking a loss, but that's not it. Like, I don't think the profession was designed for someone to come in at 22 and, you know, sell their ass off until they're 65 and then retire. You know, I think it's, it's very much for most people in the profession, maybe more than half, you know, but less than 75%. It's like a stepping stone to something else. So the other part of your question, like what comes next and how do you figure that out? There's, I mean, the obvious ones are like leadership, you know, manager, director, VP. Um, then there's all these things that I think, given today's economy and how companies, especially in the tech space, are like shifting to a focus on profitability. I think there's these sales adjacent roles that I call them, where it's like it might be just different enough to feel energizing for you, where it's like, uh, you know, retention and renewals, uh, CSM work. Um, stuff like that. So it's kind of like after the sale or outside of the sale where you could still use a lot of those same skills. You're still kind of managing a pipeline. You're going to have some kind of quota, but it's going to be different enough from what you've been doing for the past 10 years that, you know, you might, you know, be, be re-energized by it. Um, and then, you know, enablement, if you're the, the type of sales rep who like you actually enjoy the enablement sessions that you have internally in your company and like you look forward to them and you like adopting new tools and like going through Sandler training and, and things like that, 
like start thinking about like, how can I get into enablement and start like talking to the enablement people at your company or people in your network and like, you know, just kind of kick the tires on it and start kicking it around. Um, if you are a real freak and weirdo and you like using Salesforce, like go, go down there, there's tons of money in that. Like go the, the trail path or all those different certifications they have, get one certification and build a resume around it and start seeing if you can get into sales operations and then, you know, continuously get certifications. You get paid more with every certification basically. Um, and then, you know, the option, like I talked about, if you just want to, if you're none of that shit sounds good, like just start thinking about like, where's my expertise, right? Like I was, I was working with someone and he was talking about, oh, I, I think I want to get into venture capital. I think I want to get into strategic partners, partnerships. And I'm looking at his experience and he sold for like uh, Indeed and another company similar to Indeed. So this was like almost a decade of his career. And I'm like, well, dude, there's probably agencies that consult huge companies with like how to how to better use these platforms like Indeed or like, you know, monster.com or whatever ladders. I don't know what the platforms are now, but like you could probably provide a lot of value to organizations just telling them like how to do that type of stuff better. And it was like a light bulb went off and it was like, and that would be so natural too. So like really think about like, you know, oh, I worked at, you know, I worked at Google. I had to get an AdWords certification. Like, well, there's agencies that just do AdWords shit that like, you know, you could probably walk in and, you know, you would be a rock star there immediately. Yeah, I know a few people that sold a software product, a SaaS product, maybe left that SaaS company and started an implementation company around that. Mm -hmm. the, the product. Huh, I could go sell the backend professional services side or, uh, you know, some kind of consulting or, or implementation service around this, this, this product. And I already know how to sell. I already know the product. Here we are. So I, I like that. I think look inward and see one, what are you most interested in and yeah. what skills do you have from your career that are marketable in another arena? What are some ways someone can start to kind of detach from, uh, let's just call it the, the rat pellets that are commission checks, right? Like how, how does, cause that, that's the hard thing is, is it's really addicting to, to keep going and, and it's hard to stop and think about what comes next, especially if you're having a good run and you're having a good year keep hitting your targets and you're making good money. Um, what are some exercises someone can maybe start doing now to, to help them start to think about the next phase? Yeah. Um, good question. Well, one, like, uh, you know, and you started off kind of talking about like, you know, those golden handcuffs and the commission checks. So I would say like just budgeting, see where you can scale back on like your overhead from a personal level, you know, and, and just see if you can, you know, cut some costs that really don't mean much to you that aren't moving the needle to take a little bit of that pressure off. Right. Because, um, money is freedom. Right. But that works both ways, like having money, but also not needing it. Right. So if you need a little bit less money, you'll have a little bit more freedom, you know, to make that career change. Um, the other thing to like, uh, you can start a side hustle. So you can start something that you do like maybe two to three hours a week and just kind of like get a feel for it. Like me with, um, with the career counseling and guidance that I've been doing, I just put a block of like two and a half hours on my calendar every Saturday morning. And it's just like, I'm going to, if I feel up for it, I'm going to spend that time 
doing stuff about this. And then, you know, the rest of the week passively, if I want to work on it, I can't like, I'm sure you're kind of doing the same thing with the podcast. Right. Um, and, uh, the other thing too, is like, you one, make a list of like what your dream job would be. All right. That's, that's one make it. And I put a guide out where it kind of walks you through some of these processes, it's like five steps and there's a workbook and all this stuff and it's free. Uh, but one of the things is to like list out all the things that you love about your current job and selling list, all the things that you actually absolutely hate about it. Right. To even determine if like, maybe it's a company problem, a manager problem, a product problem, and not a sales problem. Right. So figure that out. Once you figure that out, then you you're listing out your passions, your qualifications and your expertise, and you're aligning those to kind of figure out like where you should be and try to come up with like two or three ideas of what you could possibly be happy with doing next. And then find people on LinkedIn, either in your network, outside of your network, and just start reaching out to them and being like, hey, I'm thinking about getting into demand generation. I'm thinking about getting into woodworking. I'm thinking about getting into, you know, whatever the other HR, you know, I, I was hoping we could just meet for 15 minutes and I could learn the good, the bad, and the ugly about the job, right? And then, you know, lastly, once you finally settle on something, it's like getting the resume together, selling yourself, which you're great at already, because you've been doing it your whole life and getting the job. And and the, the other thing I'll say about money is like, um, that was a big fear of mine. And I think that's a lot of fear for people getting out of sales is like, I'm not qualified for anything else. And I, I make tons of money, you know, <laughs> and like, it's awesome. Uh, but and like, I thought I was like, I was thinking like, man, I'm I'm probably going to have to suck it up for a few years and really not make a whole lot. And, you know, oh, it's going to be tight. And my, my next job right out of sales was six figures still. So like, I got really lucky. It can be done. Right. So like, don't let that fear of financial insecurity hold you back necessarily. And that's on a case by case basis. I don't know what people's responsibilities are, but it can be done. You can, you know, transition into something that's going to have an awesome income that's still going to be, you know, sustainable for you and your family. Yeah, I really like, I want to dig into a couple of things there. I, I like that first, you when we talked about, you know, side hustling, doing something on the side, spending, blocking your calendar for a couple hours a week. And I, I like that you said, because this is obviously, you know, being in sales, being in a contributor role or a leadership role, there's, there's a lot. And it, it, you know, there's some days that are going to be more hectic than others. And so I think it really comes down to what you feel like doing and being able to try to be consistent. It's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Doing the coaching thing on the side, there's, there's just an infinite number of different side hustles you can look at. And if you're interested in doing something like coaching that's out there, but of course there's also things like starting an e-commerce store or building a content business. Like there's just so many different things that, that someone can do, especially if you already know how to sell. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'll touch on that too, because I think the the big silver lining here is that because you've pretty much done one of the hardest roles, if not the hardest role in, in any business, which is selling, it really does make it easier to sell yourself. It makes it easier to sell ideas internally. And if you end up transitioning into another role inside of a company, likely it's going, you're, you're going to have a big leg up on some of your peers because you do know how to sell. Uh, you're innately curious, you know how to ask the right questions, you know how to move something from start to finish, you know how to follow, you know how to write emails well, generally speaking. And these are all skills that 
uh, you know, in my career I've developed and most of my peers who who've sold for a long time have, uh, you know, a really high aptitude in these areas. And those are very much transferable into other parts of the business. Again, marketing and uh, revenue, uh, you know, rev ops. There's so many different things you can do and all of those same skills are going to transfer. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think sales is one of the most transferable, you know, skills, crafts, whatever it's sales and writing really. So like you hit the nail on the head. And the other thing I would say is like, you know, treat it as like a fact finding mission. You know, you're trying to figure out what to do next and allow yourself to be really super, super curious. And like, don't think of any of your ideas as like stupid trash ideas. Like when I, when I first decided I was getting out of sales, but I had no clue what I was doing next. Like I was leaving no stone unturned. I was thinking like, maybe I want to go into woodworking and start making furniture. And I was, I started emailing like woodworking places in Austin being like, do you need an apprentice? Like I'll work for free. I know sales. I can help you with sales. And like, you teach me the craft and it never went anywhere. But, you know, I was still like making the initiative and just kicking the tires on it. And then through that process, like you'll, you'll, feel it in your gut. You'll like, this feels right. Or this doesn't feel right. And you'll, it'll be evident for you. The other thing too, I was like, like sales, I don't like, but I like being, you know, close to the money, you know, aligned with revenue. And so I was like, my first thought was, Oh, marketing, like I should just get into marketing somehow. And it seems like it would make sense. Like you're in sales, marketing should be an easy transition, but it turns out it's not super easy but i went and i got a bunch of marketing certifications like really hard ones and like spent hours a day going you know going through uh all these like e-learnings and getting these certifications i built a marketing resume i talked to a bunch of people in my in my network i had a couple interviews for like content marketing jobs and during those interviews it was like i felt myself not being nervous before the interview or excited at all. There were no butterflies. And then kind of having the interview and having it go good, but also thinking in the back of my head, like, I hope they don't offer me a job because I don't think I'm like confident enough to turn it down <laughs> at this point. So it was, you know, just be curious, try everything, but like listen to your gut too. And it's going to be a process. It's not going to be like a smooth, you know, kind of thing. But what you're really looking for is like direction. You know, you're going from something, you know, you can do in your sleep, you're comfortable with to like something brand new, you know, just like when you first got into sales, you know, it was like, maybe it wasn't something you dreamed of or thought about for a long time. It was just like a buddy told you, Hey, I'm doing this thing. I'm making tons of money. Like <laughs> you want to do it with me, you know? Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit into landing dream opportunities, specifically something you mentioned, which is, uh, you know, even after you left sales, you still managed to to land yourself your opportunity uh, in a non. But maybe focus on on selling roles for the moment here, because I think, first of all, I have a really diverse audience uh, that I'm, you know, that I understand. Most uh, most of my listeners come from different stages of their sales career, uh, you know, different different points in their sales journey. But there's probably a good fraction of my listeners out there who are not yet making six figures in sales or corporate in general, right? What are some ways that someone out there listening right now can start to target in and 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 pursue high paying opportunities? And, and when I say high paying, I mean six figures and over, multiple six figures and you know, the sky's yeah. What are some skill sets? What are some um 
you know, steps they can take right now to, to start to prepare for that? Yeah. So one, you have to like have a clear vision of where you're headed. So it sounds cliche, right? Um, and I probably get like people rolling their eyes when I say it because it's like, yeah, no duh, but a five-year plan, like set a North star is like kind of your pie in the sky dream and give yourself like, see what you would need to do to get there in five years. So for me, I was in San Diego, I was working in a legit boiler room. Like it was, there was no CRM. We were, you know, you were faxing invoices to people. They would FedEx checks in. You would take the credit card over the phone and write it down on a slip of paper and then give it to a boss who would run the credit, like crazy stuff. Um, but like I was, I came up with this dream, like I want to be uh, an account executive at Google. Right. And like, I didn't even know what that meant really, <laughs> but I was like, I thought Google was the best company ever. And uh, I was like, yeah, if I could be an account executive there and sell to like huge corporations, like that would be it. And so I just thought about like, okay, let's take a step backward. Like, what do I need to do? So what you do is you find someone that has that job on LinkedIn and you look at their, their job experience and you just track it back. It's like, okay, what did they have before that role? What did they have before that? What did they have before that? And compare where you are to like their past experience and keep going down their experience until it aligns and then just sort of copy their path. So if it was like account executive at Google, SDR at Google, uh, inside sales rep at, you know, whatever, uh, Yelp, and then, you know, boiler room. And it's like, okay, I need to be an ISR at Yelp and I need to crush it for two years. And then I need to get into Google as like an ISR and SDR and I have to crush it for two years. And then I can be an account executive at Google. So now I have to figure out how do I come up with a resume that's gonna take my experience and make it attractive enough that I can get in at Yelp and get that IS, ISR role, right? And I'm just like giving a, a hypothetical, but that's kind of, that's the framework that you would use. And also like, again, like do your research, kick the tires, like reach out to that person that is an A at Google and be like, hey, you know, this is my dream. I would love to do it. I would love to like, you know, hear about what your day-to-day -day is. And maybe it sucks. Maybe it's a nightmare. Maybe it's not what you thought it would be, but you know, nowadays, like there's all these tools like RepView and Bravado and, and Glassdoor, and you can do like a lot of research. So, you know, do the research, figure out what you want, set that North Star, and then figure out like, can I get there in five years and how would I do it? And do it by looking at someone who's done it and, you know, follow their steps and copy them. Yeah, this is this is great advice. And it's something that I've been doing for a long time. And I, I don't just do it, you know, fortunately, there's LinkedIn out there, I can go look at people that I look, you know, admire in the industry and, and try to reverse engineer their career, and really, you know, map out how they got to where they are. Um, I would, you know, if I were out there listening, I would I would be doing that find people that you admire, uh, maybe you know them, maybe it's your manager, uh, maybe it's your VP of sales, maybe your, uh, maybe it's a relative, it doesn't really matter. That and then also study great business. I think one of the most underrated things you can do is is read biographies of people like Steve Jobs, uh, yeah. um, you know, Bill Gates, whoever, right? Like, go and actually try to understand how Mark Benioff built Salesforce, and all of these people have biographies. So even though you may not be aspiring to be the next, uh, you know, Steve Jobs it's still really interesting to kind of read biographies and read uh, and reverse engineer people's careers. Right. And yeah. 
ever get to the the CEO level of a company like Apple, it's still really interesting to kind of gather insights about how people did what and what that progression looked like. So that's one of the things that I've done. The other thing that I'll add to what you're saying is early on in my career, I had someone uh, tell me that I should write down what I wanted to achieve for the next five years. And kind of to your point, the five years, but literally take out a pencil and write it down on paper because there's, there's a, you know, there's a psychology in actually putting it down on paper and jotting it all out and saying by age 30 or by 2020, whatever, I want to be here doing this, working at Google, right? As an account executive, making 150K or whatever it is, right? So actually be really specific. And here's where it gets fun is I started doing that probably about 2014 or 2015. And now I, I actually, I wrote it down, but I also made a copy of it in my iPhone uh, on my notes app. And I still go back and look at it and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, in 2015, I wrote that this would be my goal and I actually did it. <laughs> uh, or I maybe like over it. And then honestly, there's some years where I, I didn't hit it and had to come back to the table and say, maybe that was not the most realistic goal. Uh, maybe I was being a little too ambitious. So write or be very specific, you know, say, I want to be selling this type of product. I want to, and this, by the way, it doesn't just apply for career stuff. It can be financial. Um, I have some fitness goals in my notes app that said I needed to be able to do this and lift this amount of weight or whatever it was. Um, so you can get really specific on what those goals are, but write them down. There's, there's a real power in being able to actually jot those down. And then you can go back and look at them in a couple of years and say, Oh, Hey, I did that. So that, uh, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say a hundred percent to that. Like I did, I got the same advice from a Brian Tracy book and it was like, you know, 10 things and write them down and copy them like every morning. And I did that for like the longest time. Like here's, I, reach down to get it. Here's the journal I do all that crap in. This is the exact one. You could see like, this is loose because I ripped a bunch of pages out of here, a bunch of secrets, but like I would pick up that journal every morning and I'd write the same 10 things down, you know? So they were fresh in my head. I was always thinking about them. And it's amazing like how quickly you get there when you do that. And it remind. I'm glad you brought it up because it reminds me that like, I should probably start doing it again. Um, but like, I love what you said about reading biographies and like, you kind of get a feel for like how people do that. And the other thing I do is like one podcast like this or podcasts like um, WTF with Mark Marin, And like, it's totally outside of sales. He's interviewing people from like entertainment, but he takes, he, he interviews them about their whole story from like their childhood until like when they became, you know, who they are now, which is like a famous comedian, actor, musician or whatever. And it's, it's interesting just to hear how people kind of, you know, architect their path to success. Right. And you'll pick up some common trends. And like one of them is like kind of having like that North star, but also really just focusing on like the task at hand and the next indicated step in the process. Right. So not like stressing out about, you know, getting too far ahead of yourself, but really perfecting and like just knocking it out of the park with like what you're doing right now. That's going to get you to like th that next small incremental step. If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. 
The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSurf5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSurf5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. Yeah, I think the other thing for me too, when I think about, if I could tell myself something earlier on in my career, at the time when I was saying, man, how can I make six figures in sales? I think the, the advice I would give now is the very cliche, your, your net worth is in your network. Yeah. And I realize now in hindsight that in order to get to, you know, significant income levels in sales or any other profession, right? Any other uh, career track you decide to take, it's really key to start developing mentorship relationships. Hard to do, honestly, in 2023, in the age of kind of work from home and Zoom meetings, it's harder now to, to develop mm -hmm. than it ever has been, but it's super important because if you have people that have been on the journey longer than you, who can coach you on how to, how to do things in a, in a, you know, with the, the right finesse, then you'll actually get there a lot quicker um, because they will show you the way to get there. So I look back at some of my career milestones where I had a mentor, several mentors actually walk me through how to ask for a six figure salary, right? How to ask, how to get there, how to interview well, how to prepare, how to show results and tell my story and those kind of things. So if you're out there listening and you're wondering, like, how can I get to that, that six figure sales role? start to network, start to find a mentor yeah. and mentors can be your boss. It can be people in your company. Again, it can be relatives friends, neighbors. Um, but it, it can also be, uh, you know, people that you follow online and uh, it, it can be really anybody, but you've got to kind of open yourself up to, to feedback and to coaching and to having those kind of conversations. But if you do that, I'm a big advocate and, and, you know, can say firsthand that it does work to get you to where you want to get to. Hell yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And and while it is like a little bit harder now because we're not in an office and you can't go into like, you know, down the hall and talk to someone, but with LinkedIn now and with the way that like, you know, uh, just technology is the internet. I mean, you can, you know, reach out to someone across the pond in England that you really admire and like, you know, maybe get a couple bits of advice from them. I have people that reach out to me on LinkedIn all the time. And I usually take those calls. Like if someone's like, Hey, I'm early in my career. I just, you know, I just wanted to bounce a couple ideas off you. Like, hell yeah, I'll, I'll take a 15 minute call or I'll answer your questions via chat. Like I'm always down for it. And I think a lot of people, like, I think you'd be surprised, like take a swing, you know? The other thing I wanted to bring up too, and it's, it was, it reminded me cause I was talking about Brian Tracy and you, you had brought up like writing your goals down and it made me think of that Brian Tracy book. But the other thing too, and cause we're talking about people kind of like you know, getting unstuck in your career, like getting to like that next job that's going to, you know, really pay you what you want. And <clears throat> this is what like got me out of that boiler room in San Diego. It was in a, I invested a dollar 83 cents in a used paperback of advanced selling strategies by Brian Tracy, who is like this old school seventies, eighties era. You know, he would do like um, uh, seminars on tape, for like people that were realtors and insurance salesmen and stuff. But the advice is like, awesome. Like you can't, you can't beat it with a stick. And one of the things he said, and to paraphrase was like most 
sales reps will stay in a go nowhere dead end job that they're underpaid for because they just have fear of the unknown, right? They're, they're afraid their next move is going to be a failure. They think they won't be able to make it. They're afraid of challenging themselves. And I was like, once I read that, it was just like, it was a kick in the gut. It was like, oh, well, I fucking have to get off my ass and like try to do, really go for it, you know? And so like, I'm sure, you know, it, part of your, your audience might be able to relate to that. If you're early in your career and it's like, you're comfortable somewhere, that's the worst thing. If you're really comfortable somewhere, you like the people you work with, but it's like you are underpaid and you'd really like more money. It's tough to leave, but you know. Yeah. A hundred percent. So you, you talked about the the guide that you put together that's focused on career pivots. What mm-hmm. your coaching that you do? I know you work with some clients on career goals and milestones. Walk us through maybe what that coaching program would look like so that if anyone interested out there uh, wants to take a look at it, uh, yeah. a bit more about the process. Yeah. So, well, like the coaching one, you can, you can get it for free. So I have, I have the two guides on my site right now. They're free. And like, I spent a lot of time on them. So, and the coaching is really in most cases driven by those guides. So really like taking people through the guides, making sure we're doing the workbooks together and then helping them unpack all that stuff. Like there's the written guide and then there's an accompanying uh, workbook for each. And the workbook is more like, you know, extracting data, thoughts, experiences and everything. And then I'm helping you like decipher like what that is, what are the next steps? I'm helping make suggestions like, hey, you should think about, you know, doing this next in your career, you know, taking this job, interviewing here, or, you know, you want to talk to these people to do some discovery if this is the right job, uh, this, that, and the other thing. A lot of times too, I'll, you know, uh, I'll go through my network and just, you know, see if I can make connections for people as well. But I can do like other coaching outside of that too. That's not really driven by those, those uh, frameworks that I developed. So that can be someone who's like, you know, you're in your career and you're just, you know, shit, I don't know what I should do next. Like I want to stay in sales. I don't know what my next sales job should be. I don't know what the good companies are. I don't know really what I'm worth on the open market, or it can be like, you know, I, I want to stay where I am. I want to negotiate a raise. Like, how do I go through that process? It could be interview prep. It can be just, any number of things career related. And it's all, most of it's going to be designed just to giving people direction, right? Because a lot of times people, they just, you know, they have people in their life that have ideas, but maybe they don't trust those people because they haven't been where they're trying to go. uh, Or they don't trust their own thoughts and ideas. They're like, well, this is what I think I should do, but I'm not an expert at this. I don't know. So, you know, I can offer some, some guidance and clarity there. Yeah, there was something else I wanted to ask you about too. Uh, first of all, your your social media game, your LinkedIn game has been awesome. Uh, I really love seeing the memes in my my. Mm-hmm. Uh, you posted something a while back that really struck a chord with me. I want to get it out there, and it was about how quotas get set in oh. modern SaaS company. And it's honestly something that I think I knew, but to see it all laid out and to see the math behind it was a little. <clears throat> So yeah. I'm just going to raise it really quickly, but I want to kind of get your deeper thoughts on, on that post. But uh, high level, it was basically a post about how when you work in a SaaS company as a seller, your quota gets set at the highest level, probably by the board of directors or the investor, maybe the CEO, probably the CROs in the room. 
And then that CRO takes the number and pads it, right? So numbers like 12 million for the year, maybe not the year, for the quarter, uh, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll pad it a little bit and then kind of pass it down the chain. So at the end of the day, the reps are the ones kind of carrying the brunt of the revenue goal for the company. And, and if they miss, it's likely designed to where their leadership doesn't miss. But maybe like expound on that a little bit because I think this is an important topic that a lot of people need to understand. And and after you you kind of explained your thoughts on it, I'll share why I think it's important to know this. Yeah, and so and like I just learned it like in the past like I don't know maybe six months, and it blew my mind. Like it was something like I always thought about like how do they come up with this shit, you know? <laughs> and um, and it was actually the guy that uh, he's one of the executives at RepView, and he posted about it. And then I commented on Twitter, and I was like, like mind blown. And and we unpacked it a little bit more in in a thread on Twitter. Um, but yeah, you you laid it out perfectly. And it's really, it's the same concept as like as an AE, you want to have like um, 3x quota in your pipeline, right? You want to have like, you know, three times, maybe even four times more than you're going to need because you know some is going to fall out. So at the executive or the board level, they they do the same thing with, uh, with quotas, figuring that like, oh, there's going to be maybe market conditions. Like we've seen that a lot in the past four years, or there's going to be rep attrition or something like that. So we have to protect ourselves against those things. So, you know, the goal is really 10 million, but, you know, the CRO is, is going to say, well, you know, from you, from, from my four VPs, I'm going to need, uh, instead of 2.5 million each, I'm going to want, you know, uh, 3.25 each, right? And then it, it, as it gets kicked down the line, it can get padded a little bit more. So yeah, you can have a rep who's like stressing out to hit this quota and, oh man, I finished it like, you know, 68%, I feel rotten, I'm getting put on PIP, like all this stuff. And it's like, actually, you hit the number you need to make for the organization, like you hit your obligation to the organization, but it seems like you're way underperforming and it's unfair and it's bullshit. And uh, I hate it. And it's one of the things I hate most about the game. And I, I posted that because it blew my mind and I wanted every single rep in my network to understand like what's going on. Um, and it's, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, it's a horrible thing to do to people. <laughs> so the reason that I thought, the reason I think it's such an important message to get out there, and it is, it's one of those kind of constants in the business. I don't know really how to fight city hall on this. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to encourage anybody out there to go and throw a, a you know, a fit in their VP of sales or, or CRO's office this next week. But I think it's important to just have the knowledge and the awareness that that is the case for one big reason, and that's mental health. Because, mm -hmm. and you know, we've probably talked about this, you and I, I've had guests on the show that talk a lot about mindset and mental health and trying to stay mentally strong in this game. One of the big problems is back to your example of the rep that might hit, you know, 68% or something, and they're beating themselves up, even though they delivered the amount of revenue that they needed to deliver uh, as, you know, as set by the company, there's still a psychology at play. And it's really easy to be hard on yourself. And it's easy to walk around, you know, with your shoulders slumped, feeling like you're a failure and a fuck up in the business, right? When that's just not the case. And so I want to get this, this, this word out there that this is something that does happen. Um, I don't know what the padding looks like in your company uh, to the listeners out there, but you know, it's something to just consider that likely your number is, I don't want to call it an unattainable number because maybe that's not the case, but it's definitely 
it's probably padded with some extra uh, revenue in there to make sure the people above the chain, uh, people above you on the chain can hit their targets. So please, 100%. you miss your number. It's not because you suck. It's not because you're a bad seller. It's because you're part of a imperfect system, frankly. Now, again, I don't have the solution. I don't know what to do about it other than to try to keep your chin up, stay you know, mentally healthy and positive and keep trying to play the game. But it's, you know, sometimes it feels a lot like those, those games at the carnivals where they're totally rigged. Sometimes you hit the milk bottle, the milk glass bottles, but <clears throat> not gonna hit them. But you have to try to focus on the times that you do uh, and the wins, and that's the, you know, kind of my my strong thoughts on that. So I was glad to see you post that, and and again, I think I had heard that at some point in my career, but it really brought it front and center to me when I saw that post and really looked at the numbers and thought about you know, again, how many times I beat myself up for hitting uh, less percent when in reality, I was probably overachieving. Yeah, no, it's such a great call out too. like, do not beat yourself up. Do not like think that like you can't do the job or you're ineffective or something. It's, it's the game. It's not the player. Right. Um, uh, what was the other thing I wanted to say about that? Um, drawing a blank here. Shoot. Oh yeah. And like, so Generally speaking, 60% of reps are going to miss quota each year, right? So that should tell you all you need to know about the way that quotas are set, right? More than, more than half, you know, you're in a room of 10 reps, six of you are going to miss for the year. And I've been on, on sales teams where it was like, no one hit, you know, like we had one guy out of 10 that was, that was at a hundred percent. And so I had a VP at one place and you know, they rolled out quotas and we were all stressing out and because no one was hitting them. And uh, and it was like, no one's ever going to hit this. And he was like, look, just get to 50 percent. That's all we need. Just get to 50 percent and no one will care. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, that blew my mind because he's an RVP. But, you know, that was it was probably, you know, giving me some insights into like how that thing was set, you know. That reminds me, I've had I've had some very transparent sales leaders, especially the in the earlier stage startups that are very realistic, like, hey, let's just hit this. This is what the yeah. we're expecting to keep the game going. So let's just try to it, it may be half, like you said, half of what you think you need to hit. Yeah. Um, so I do always appreciate when there's some transparency. Uh what would you say? So you've been playing this game for a long time. You're you're transitioning out of it. You're a you know strat a strategist now, uh, and you're out of kind of the carrying carrying of a bag uh type of business, but you did carry a bag for a really long time. And mm -hmm. recently I've had a lot of listeners reach out and say, How can I manage the stress of being in this industry, having the weight of a quota on my back, having the expectation of being able to consistently deliver quarter after quarter? What are some things that what are some things that you've done over the course of your career to manage your stress, to manage the anxiety that comes with playing this game? Yeah. And and like to be frank, I maybe wasn't the best person at that <laughs> through my career. So like a lot of this is hindsight. Um, and just, you know, as as you get older, you get a little more wisdom and you become better at like managing your your internal world, right? But um, like good sleep hygiene, you know, basic stuff. Uh, try to like fill your body with good foods, drink water, you know, exercise, stuff like that. Mindset, like we've been talking about a lot, like understand that like, you know, you were hired by your company because they knew unequivocally that you were the right person to do that job. So you can do it. If you're not hitting some arbitrary bullshit number month over month, like, 
don't make that the the end all be all. Instead, set like an income goal for yourself and perform against that number and make that the thing that you're performing against month over month. Don't worry about the quota, right? That doesn't have anything to do with you kind of, right? It's like, it's a score scoreboard type thing you can put on your resume. And like the other thing I would say too, is like figure out what, um, what play is for you. Like the, the opposite of anxiety and dread and worry and doom is play, right? So we all got out of playing when we were children, but you know, if you pursue play and the things that make you feel playful, like it takes a lot of stress off. So for me, I'm a freaking clown. Like I'm always, if I can joke around and it, at least crack myself up, like, you know, that's, that's everything for me. That takes a lot of anxiety and stress away. So at work in nine to five, I'm always cutting up and like saying weird shit and like, just like, and a lot of it's just to crack myself up, but like, also like you got a guitar, I got a guitar right there. Like just, if I'm like about to crawl out of my skin five minutes before a big presentation, I pick that guitar up and I just start, you know, banging away on it. And it's like, it engages this other side of your brain because you're, you're playing and it's, you're totally out of it. And I would say the other thing, and the the reason I learned about like pursue play is like, you know, get into therapy. Like you, you know, we all have this, this history of like, you know, uh, childhoods and, and baggage and mistakes and relationships and like worries and anxiety. And like, I think it's a very small percentage of the population that can manage all that stuff on their own. So like, don't, don't uh, be shy about like getting into therapy, going, you know, once a week, once every two weeks and just, you know, bouncing all this stuff off someone else and get really, really, you know, honest and vulnerable with them. And they'll, you know, kind of help you find the answers to like managing your inner self more efficiently and being like, you know, a better person as a result. I love the the play. Uh, I actually just heard about that. I, I was listening to Brene Brown, actually, of all people. And that may be where you heard it from. Uh. And and yeah, I think we as adults get away from just playing. And it is like the mm -hmm. of anxiety. And, and you got to find what that means for you. For some people, that's going to be playing a sport, you know, riding bikes, lifting weights, whatever it is. For some people, it's music, art, you know, painting, whatever that is. Uh, find what your play is and that's going to help you actually completely disengage from what you're doing day to day and de-stress. So I love that, that example, totally agree with all the things, you know, physical and mental health. Uh, one thing I'll add though, and this is something that I, I talk about a lot on the show and I've talked a lot about to my network, which is one of the things that you can do to curb anxiety and I went through a period of several years where I was just, I had the worst Sunday scaries as they call them. And I even had it so bad that I would get the Saturday scaries, which is just a terrible way to live. Like when you're Saturday, yeah. things starts to get, you get anxious about the week ahead. Something is wrong and you got to figure out what that, like how to fix that. I'm going to give you a couple of ideas here. So yeah, this is just, again, a terrible quality of life when you're sitting around on a Saturday night dreading the next week. Uh, and I went through about a two year period where that was the case and it was the worst. And this is the period where I really wanted to walk away from the profession and go do woodworking or something like that. I was like, I got to go do something. I'm going to do a construction job if I have to, because it's probably better than sitting here on a Saturday night, stressing about Monday morning, which is just ridiculous. So yeah. if Saturday scaries, hopefully not. That's really extreme. 
But a lot of people feel the Sunday scaries where Sunday night starts to roll around and they're realizing tomorrow they got to do this and they got to be on 8 a.m. on the Zoom or in person or whatever it is. And they've got to deliver this this week. If you're feeling that, one big thing that helped was I now block just an you not even an hour. Usually like a half hour is enough. Put a half an hour on your calendar at around one or two o'clock on a Friday. Usually things are dead Friday afternoon anyway. Before you head out of the office on Friday to go do your thing for the weekend, just spend 30 minutes planning for the next week. And in that planning, you tell yourself, I'm going to go ahead and let go of all this because I am now in control of next week. Here on Friday, I'm writing down the big things that I'm going to deliver next week, the big meetings I have, the, the you know the proposals that are due, the, the, the demos that I've got to get on, whatever those big kind of scary things are, or the one-on-one with my boss. And, and in my case, that's been the big scary thing in a lot of my career is, oh shit, I've got to do forecast next week with our CRO. He's going to, you know, tear me a new one over this deal that I put in the pipeline. That's not going to close. Right. So whatever that thing is, it's scary. Just kind of write it down and plan, just write it down, you know, come up with a plan, think through how you're going to approach thing, uh, approach each thing, do it on Friday and then close the book and enjoy your weekend. And you don't have to think about it because you've, you've done the, the preparation for the week to come on a Friday. So that's one big thing that helped. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and the other thing that I talk about a lot is just being a business person and not just a salesperson. If that if you make that your north star, not focusing so much on being great at sales, it's great to be great at sales, and of course that is part of being great at sales. But if you focus on business acumen and not just sales acumen, what'll happen is you might get some negative feedback from a sales leader from a prospect, from somebody at some point, you're going to get some negative feedback. But if you know inside that you're a good business person, and this is just one tiny aspect, one tiny blip of being a business person, it's going to be a lot easier to digest that feedback and brush it off a little bit. And in some cases, you need to ignore it too, by the way. But just knowing in your heart that you're a good business person is actually going to be key to kind of building that confidence. And you'll find that it actually eliminates this, the Sunday scaries or some of the anxiety or stress that comes with delivering. Because when you go, when you become a, a good business person, you realize that businesses are cyclical and you are going to deliver, you're going to try to deliver most of the time. All the time is impossible. Nobody delivers every single month, every quarter, every year. It's just not possible. You're a human being and businesses are cyclical. They're up and down. But the key is to try to be as consistent as possible Perfection's never part of business. There's no business that's perfect out there. And no, Apple's not perfect or you know, Google or whoever, Meta. I can say these companies are not perfect either, right? So the, the goal is being really good at business acumen, being as consistent as possible. And as you start to focus in on being a better business person, you'll round your skills out. It'll build a lot of confidence and you'll find that that anxiety starts to go away because you realize I'm good at a lot of aspects. I'm a business person. I am responsible for my business. But I don't have to, you know, fall on the sword if I have a bad month or a bad quarter. So that's more of a sales mindset. A business mindset is like, yeah, we're cool. We didn't do so well this month. We're going to do better next month. And here's how we're going to do it, right? So those are my two pieces of advice for anyone out there who's struggling with, you know, anxiety, Sunday scaries and all that stuff. You know, that's such a great point. And the other, it does two other things that are like really, really you know, profound. One is that 
um, things stop happening to you, right? It stops being personal and it's just business, right? It keeps you in that mindset of like, this is just business. You know, this isn't personal. They didn't say no because I'm ineffective or they hate me. Uh, you know, my boss, they're talking to me in a certain way I don't like, but it's not personal. He has business stresses, right? He's a business too, right? So it's just business. So that takes a little bit of the burden off you personally. But the other thing too, if you're a rep and you really view yourself as like, the CEO of Jesse Woodbury sales agency, and you start thinking of your employer as a client, you start thinking about like, well, is this really a good client? If uh, just working with this client, is this the best thing for my business? Or is there another client that would really make my business more profitable? Like if you start thinking in those terms, right? Because we talked about before, like staying in kind of like this this job that that really isn't going to align to your goals just because you're comfortable or something, that's a good way to like kind of detach yourself from it and think about it in business terms. Like, is this really good for the business, you know, staying here and just making this amount of money and, you know, year over year. And that might be something that helps you to like, you know, get to that next step and kind of get out of your comfort zone. That's so awesome. Well, Chris, where can my listeners get into <laughs> your career pivot guides and uh, where can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So definitely like follow me on LinkedIn and then um, Chris Dankowski. That's my, that's how you find me. I'm, I got to be the only one on there. I think there's another one, but like he's uh, he's in Poland and he doesn't look anything like me. So, uh, and then the other thing too, my, my website. So it's uh, D A N K O W dot S K I. That's the actual URL. It's just my last name. So D-A-N-K-O-W dot S-K-I. And there's the two free guides on there. There's my newsletter. And I think that's pretty much it. Like, it's really simple. So go, yeah, check it out. Hit me up on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm around. Yeah. I love that your domain is dot ski. Because I'm a yeah. like skiing, but you've incorporated it into your last name, which I think is is dope. Yeah, love it. Awesome. I will post both of those in the show notes. Chris, absolute pleasure having you on, man. And can't wait to have you back on again soon. Dude, thank you so much. And congrats on the continued success with the podcast and everything. This is, this is I'm a big fan. So it's great to be here. 